Hello and welcome to another milestone edition of the Talent Intelligence Collective podcast. Why is it a milestone? Due to my stupidity. I refer to this one as the 24th episode at the beginning of the podcast, but in fact, it's the 23rd. The original episode 23 had to be rescheduled, which I'd entirely forgotten about. What an umpty. Look that word up if you don't know what it means. Anyhow, I and my co-hosts, Toby Coulshaw and Alison Etheridge, had a wonderful guest on the 23rd slash 24th show. In this one, we spoke to Adrian Malatesta of Remitly. In the news bit, we covered off topics such as big tech layoffs and how all might not be doom and gloom, how TI tech is a category to watch, according to Josh Burson, how the horrible phrase war for talent has turned to the horrible phrase war for skills, and a bunch of other stuff, including how the balance of power is only slightly tipped back towards employers, with the labour market still being relatively tight. And in the Adrian bit, the bit you're really here for, amongst other things we talked about his interesting career path, including dealing with his own layoff from Snap, the difference between building a tech product and building a culture and a company, his one-minute take on global expansion and location strategy, which is a summary of the talk he gave at the TIC Jamboree, check that out, and how large businesses entering new locations can completely change the economic fabric of a city, and, of course, a ton of other stuff, just trust me. So get comfy, get listening, get learning, and stay intelligent, folks. Have fun! Before we get on with the main event, I just wanted to remind you that this podcast is proudly sponsored by our friends at Stratagens, and here's a very well-spoken chat to tell you a little bit more about them. Stratagens gives HR leaders the data they need to transform businesses with the speed and ease required in today's world. If you're ready to make decisions that aren't lengthy, costly, one-dimensional, or based on gut feeling, visit stratagens.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-I-G-E-N-S dot com to register for a Wednesday demo drop-in and find out more. Hello, I'm Alan Walker and welcome to episode 24, um, the first of 2023 of the Talent Intelligence Collective podcast. I used to have a little button at the top of our podcast text that made us go, yay! But it's gone, so I'm going to do it ourselves. Yay! Uh, um, I'm joined on the show by my co-hosts, Toby Coulshaw and Alison Etheridge. Say hello, guys. Hello, guys. (laughs) And, of course, we have with us a guest. Um, For today's episode, it's the longtime TIC podcast fan. I think I could say that. Um, Talent Intelligence Collective Jamboree contributor and all-round nice but very smart guy, Adrian Malatesta. Adrian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. No worries. Can you give us a quick intro about who you are and what it is you do, please? <clears throat> yeah. Um, so my name is Adrian, as we said, I established already, I guess. Um, work while educate. I'll start with education and then kind of fast track it up to present day by, by uh, obviously university degree, graduate school degree, joint degree in both an MBA and a law degree, uh, licensed to practice law, but have never actually practiced professionally. Um, use that as a skill in my in my work. I've worked for big and small companies throughout the past 20 years or so of my career, uh, starting with uh, Hollywood Entertainment, where we used to, for the younger crew, we used to rent movies on DVDs from stores, and I did employee relations for them for a long time. Then went to Target, uh, a large discount retailer throughout the U.S., leading compliance in HR. Then to Amazon uh, in 2010, and worked on HR compliance there, built that team for the first seven years, uh, then transitioned out of that and got my first uh, entry into talent intelligence in a, in a role called global expansion market intelligence. We were doing HQ2 uh, types of work, pre-public HQ2 data research and some other things, which I think we'll get into. Then went into uh, another role, for kind of cliche Amazon story, created a role, wrote a paper, got to start a team doing economic development policy and research which we, again, we can touch into later. And then currently uh, left Amazon in March. I uh, went for a short stint to Snap Inc., the parent company of Snapchat, uh, which trivia for today, Snap Inc. thinks of themselves as a camera company. So they're still working on that. Uh, and then in September of last year, I was uh, unapologetically, we'll say, I was one of the early tech layoffs. Uh, as it turns out, 
being relatively new and an individual contributor in a workflow mergers and acquisitions that was shutting down. Uh, turns out there wasn't room for the knee, but it all ended well in that I then moved to Remitly, which is a recently public fintech uh, company focused on remittances uh, with a vision to transform the lives of immigrants through the most trusted financial service on the planet. And I lead uh, HR for our global customer success sites. That's one of the best intros we've ever had, Adrian. Very thorough. <laughs> Thank Without you. being too long, I like it. It's also um, pretty cool, isn't it? Let's be honest. The roles are pretty cool. The company's yeah. pretty cool. It's just, hey, check this out. Listen to me, kind of intro. <laughs> exactly. Well, again, thanks, Adrian. Great to have you on the podcast, and um, we're looking forward to hearing more about your work a little bit later on. Um, just for any new listeners out there, quick reminder about how this thing runs. Um, we'll. I'll spend the next 30 minutes so once I hand over to Toby Sterling, staring forlornly out of the window, dreaming of times when the UK wasn't wet and cold and wondering when um, chat GPT is going to take my job. But whilst I'm doing that, Toby will take us through a, a conversation on some of the recent news from around the TI and people space. And then our interviewer extraordinaire, uh, that's you, Alison, in case you've forgotten, it's been a while since we've done this, um, will be firing questions at Adrian about his views on TI and his career and, and everything else in and around that. And then finally, I'll snap back to reality. Remember, we're recording a podcast, realise we need to get back on track and be a party pooper and close out the show. Well, something like that anyway. So let's do this thing. Toby, what's happening? So depressing news to start with. It's fun, isn't it? Um, Great, go- thanks. <laughs> Start on a high. Gets gets worse from here. Just dial off now if I was you people. Um, um no, don't, don't. I'll get told off. Um, yeah, it's got to start really with the layoffs. You know, there's been pretty brutal start to the year. Uh, we've had about fifty thousand jobs cut in tech so far since in January 2023. Uh, that's across 150 odd different uh, companies. So it's a really brutal start to the year. I think. For me, the bit that's most interesting is traditionally with the sort of sort of action you see, obviously with the hiring freezes, mainly TA getting hit hard. And yes, TA is getting hit hard and, and broader HRs getting hit, but you're seeing a lot of product roles, a lot of tech roles being impacted. Um, but also I found it interesting that it's it's not just purely cost cutting. You know, we're seeing a lot of local centers being hit um, and, and places that you would have imagined if there was all green designs going on would have probably been the areas that people look to hire back into. Um, so places like India getting hit very hard on tech layoffs. Whilst equally, we've still got a very buoyant market. You know, the jobs are still they're flattening out, but, you know, it's still a very buoyant market out there. Unemployment rate still low. Um, so it's a very interesting start to the year where, you know, there's a lot of press, a lot of publicity around these tech layoffs. Um, but it's not necessarily driving or being driven in the way that i think we're assuming um you know i think there's a lot more pressure from institutional investors than it is necessarily around operational efficiency um you know I, there was a big article this this month around google's piece uh google's laos i think it's 10 12,000 people it's only really going to affect the bottom line by one percent or so or so and that's not accommodating for any kind of loss of productivity or loss efficiencies etc cetera, etc cetera. so I, I, th- I think there's probably a bigger play here around institutional investors and, and the market really wanting companies to acknowledge the fact that the economy is tightening rather than actually being a proper uh, efficiency play and any kind of um, proper organizational redesigns, et cetera. But that, I'd say that's probably the key thing at the moment. I read a really, really interesting article on this this morning. Um, it says a guy called Tom Goodwin, who is author of something called Digital Darwinism. Mm. Um, and he put a post on LinkedIn and this is absolutely not to take away from the fact that those people who've been laid off are going through a tough time um, at all. It really isn't. And, and I know I've reached out to a number of people who said, if we can help, we, we, we will. But he was saying, yeah, like all things, you've got to put this into context. Um, and actually, when you frame these numbers and put them into context, it really isn't about decline. Because the layoffs that have happened this year is a minority fraction of the new headcount that was added in 2022. And so, therefore, what we're really seeing is what we, and and Adrian knows this better than me, right? What you see in most economic data points is a reversion to the norm. Because what happened in 2021 and 2022 
was atypical. Companies hired at a rate that they have never hired on at before. And that actually, this is really about a planning challenge, and which is why we're not seeing the cuts in places where we would expect to see them. It's not about cost. It's about, hold on, let's get back to the norm. We hired too much in 2022. I just thought it was fascinating reading it. Mm. So it's a correction to a certain degree. Yeah. Though. And yeah. it was really interesting because I mean, when you looked at the, the numbers, you know, kind of if, if we ignore Meta, um, so Meta laid off, I think, something like 26% of the people, the new headcount that they had hired in 2022. So that still means that they hired 75% more. Does that make sense? Mm. Um, you know, uh, Amazon was tiny numbers. Microsoft, less than 12%. Um, you know, Google, 17%. And that's of the headcount that they added, not of their workforce. So I, I just think it, it provided some context away from the doom and gloom headlines. And we should be thinking of this as a correction. Yeah, Do you think there's I, any any degree of because um, obviously we're seeing lots of stuff around more politically, but also to a certain degree economically, I guess, around deglobalization. Toby, you talked about the fact that some of the lower cost areas are being hit as hard or even harder than you would expect through this kind of thing. Is there any degree of that kind of planning for deglobalization at all? So kind of bringing insuring stuff rather than offshoring it? I think that there is a, a cultural backlash that, that you do have from globalization. And you, the, the reaction to globalization is cultural re-entrenchment. Um, I think there probably is an element of that around political uh, cultural re-entrenchment where people are saying, well, actually, let's bring things closer to home. It, it's a natural response, you know, in the sense of if you're in a pressure situation, you go back to your safe environment. Mm. So people will naturally retract a little bit into their safe environment and where they, their, their comfort lies. Um, so I, I think there is an element of that. Um, but I, I think the other point also that, that, that I think is going to be interesting to see how it gets rebalanced. Through, through 2022, saw a lot of the investment going on a lot of the, the headcount growth and the, the, the company growth going on was around investing into companies with high growth and not necessarily high high profitability. So the, the business model wasn't necessarily sound. It was just very much looking at growth figures. And yeah. I wonder whether longer term, that kind of investment strategy by, by the investment firms will change. And actually, they want to see more stable profitability rather than pure growth. We're it's almost like going back in... to how business should be done to a certain degree, building an actual real business. It's really interesting because we're definitely seeing this across our investor base. So, you know, the point at which you know, we put together a growth plan for strategies that you would have thought would, would be a typical SaaS growth plan. And then kind of back end of last year, we got challenged to a faster route to profitability with less growth. Um, mm. And and I think and I think it's quite interesting, you know, that you we ended up running two plans. There's also still a massive divide between, um, yeah, you know, kind of U.S. investors and what they're what they're looking for, and U.K. investors. And there's a whole another podcast in there. Um, but there's definitely a correction on growth versus profit. What, but what we should really do is we've got an expert in economic development and market policy um, on <laughs> yeah, here yeah. who probably knows way more about corrections on economic data than I do. So, Adrian, I'd love your views. I'm here. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that. Well, I, I want to clarify, you know, again, my background was law and business. And I had I learned like some of the economic impact conversations, namely from a couple of people um, who I got to work with or work for me, economists. I think all of what you're saying is true. I, I looked at the, or I saw the the, the post um, by Goodwin as well. It, it's just, it, it's super fascinating. I think I like, the, I, I agree that there's this idea of snapback um, and, and people kind of get, get a little bit more entrenched, but I also see, I don't know if any of you follow um, a company called Deal um, that is basically mm-hmm. just, just surpassed like, 12 or 13 billion dollar valuation and like all they do is help companies they're an employer of record so which Mm. is slightly uh, more than a peo but all they do is help countries have people work help sorry companies and help them have people work in like countries all over the world and they're just like growing like crazy because people are starting to spread out and go other places and so i like i don't know it's just uh i think we are definitely going through some kind of sort of reckoning and rebalancing um 
yeah, I think a lot of things are true at once that we thought were competing interests, but are actually, you know, both can be true. And we're seeing this sort of balance out. So it's not, a, it, it's hideous for the individuals. Let me reiterate that. But actually, I, I think the bigger headline is it's not doom and gloom. Let's not be talking ourselves in, into that space. Yeah, I mean, like all the people, yeah, and I, we'll probably say this more than once, I think, in our in our time together today, like, we're going to keep saying that, like, the, the experience, and again, I'll share a little bit more as we get into the, our discussion about, like, my experience, like, I went from, you know, not a woe is me, but like, oh, my gosh, like, what am I going to do? Like, I never anticipated I'd be in a situation to be like having to decide what to do subsequent to a layoff. And, and so like, again, I'll talk about that. And I was, I feel very grateful and fortunate to have navigated that or even offer what I can to people that are in it. I think one of the challenges though, is to your point is I, I think like, yes, everything will likely be okay, but both with the recency of the kind of flooding of the market of so many people, like because of Amazon size, I think there, I, I don't want to underestimate the likely uh, problems that people are going to face finding jobs because they're not just available everywhere else amazon was a bit of a um it consumed a lot of people up into this machine and now putting them back out it's like i don't think there's people will find work whoever listens to this i don't think you know it's doom and gloom but i think there's also a reality of like that's a lot of people mm-hmm. uh like particularly in the northwest or the west coast of the united states or wherever people are spread out and so i think that's going to take some time and there's going to be some folks who are in difficult positions because for some people it might take longer than others clearly right the tale of when people get reemployed like we have to wait and see so i think that's the more um insidious consequence that i think we're gonna have to really struggle through and i guess it's the the whole adjustment piece as well because the googles of this world the facebook's of this world etc pay very very well so people are just to that kind of that reward don't they in their lives and then suddenly they may go out to the job market and there's still jobs that they can do and they're probably no better necessarily any better qualified than anybody else but they're very capable but they aren't necessarily going to offer the same kind of financial rewards that come with working for one of those bigger organizations maybe but speaking as someone who kind of left a big corporate job with a stonky salary and then rather stupidly decided to set up a software company without that you can adjust Right, you just yeah, you just adjust to what's going on. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not sure holidaying in ten bees for me long term, but you know, it's. I'm, I'm in the I'm same boat, Alison. I did exactly <laughs> the same as you. <laughs> Stupidest decision of my life. <laughs> <laughs> but but there's always a route, right? And I think that's important, right? Yeah, there's always a route, and there's always a way. Um, yeah, yeah, and 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 I hope everybody takes that on board. And and yeah, I re- reiterate what I said uh, earlier. Anyone who and I wants to reach out for some advice. More than happy to, to give it and do it. Well, at least my at least the the boss who's an arsehole now in my life is myself, so I can kind of deal with that. <laughs> you can't say that on a podcast. <laughs> I can oh, well. my ex boss won't be listening to this? We'll be uh-huh. fine. <laughs> anyway, Toby, should we? Uh, should, is there any kind of positive, sunshiny oh. news we can talk about? There is, but one silver lining just on the the layoffs piece that I, I have been thinking about as well is. We often talk about in, in layoff situations, you get a number of startups spin off from that that environment because people use the the the, the money from redundancy to start up their own ventures and everything else. Um, purely selfishly for the TI industry, it's horrific that we're seeing so many amazing TI people being impacted at the moment, and, and it, it's genuinely some of the the best TI people I've I've seen in the industry are being let go at the moment, and it's, it's completely out of their control. Um, but what the silver lining to that, I, I'm, I am excited about, which sounds perverse to say, but it, it's when they land in other companies and then stand up TI capabilities in those companies or take those companies from you know, transactional sourcing intel to doing some super strategic work. That, that I'm quite excited by because suddenly we're going to have an injection of a new wave of talent intelligence across organizations that we wouldn't have necessarily had otherwise. And so I, I think even within the doom and gloom, I think there's some excitement in the future. It's just going to be a very rocky path to get there. Yeah, completely agree. Next news, uh, Josh Burson has been doing some, some work and uh, did, did a piece around uh, the key focus areas for 2023 in the HR tech market. And talent intelligence came up as one of the key uh, areas, which is exciting. Um, I've always liked Josh's work i'm a big fan as i've mentioned many times on this, this chat before um as always josh's 
definition of TI is, is slightly broader than the, the traditional definition we use here, and it, it goes more into uh, talent acquisition analytics, talent management analytics, looking at that full talent life cycle, which is uh, it's probably slightly broader than our traditional definition here, but I'm, I'm super excited by it. I, I think that the fact that even in these tough environments, we are still seeing that, that TI needs to play a, a core focus. Um, we're obviously seeing a lot of companies quietening down on the talent acquisition side of things, but that's really ramping up the, the talent management side of things and um, looking at how we're developing people and keeping them in attrition, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, very excited to see that TI is getting another shout out the key focus area for 2023 and this plays into what you said earlier actually about um the kind of silver lining the more talent intelligence professionals who come onto the market that are doing strategic talent intelligence and the stuff that adrian i I know is going to talk about um the more we can start to kind of develop the meaning (laughs) um so that you know people like burson can can really start to think about different segments and and to push those and enhance them but i think you're right it's fantastic that people are talking about it yeah sure um next news article unless anyone's uh, uh, that, that wasn't really much to discuss there it was just kind of a <laughs> this is that statement oh, of fact yeah, i was gonna <laughs> say yeah we keep inviting mr person to come onto the show and he promised he would so yeah we'll we'll keep nagging and yeah josh yeah listen up <laughs> Come with anyway, you, Josh. Come with you. Stop it. Stop it. Keep um, going. <laughs> next up, next up. And it kind of ties into this. The the, the big hot topic for Mercer at the moment is um, the, the shift from war for talent, which I hate the turn of phrase anyway, is now turning into a war for skills. I hate that turn of phrase as well. You know, it's not war. Um, but uh, uh, the fact that we're, we're having to really decouple skills from jobs and you know, obviously through the whole um, layoff processes, etc. Mercer are, are recommending that, that people really do focus on that that skills and decoupling from the, from the skill from the job to really understand what skills you need from an employee and from a, an employee base rather than the jobs themselves. Um, and I think that really plays into the broader piece. When I when I talk to people in strategic workforce planning and um, broader HR analytics. This whole kind of identification of skills and um, moving skills around the organization, it's still such a hot topic and it's really, really growing fast. Um, And I think it's it's good. I think it's it's a good thing to look at. We we should be looking at skills people have rather than the job titles they hold. Um, So I'm I'm very excited about how this next evolution is going to push. I think there's still challenges around actually getting the data. You know, one of, the, one of the biggest challenges I found in most organizations is understanding the skills you have within your own organization because very few uh, HCM platforms or TM platforms really get the skills data you need, um, particularly if it's skills learned on the job versus training modules, et cetera. Um, so I think understanding the actual skills within your workforce is still going to be super, super difficult, but I, I really like the direction it's moving in. I love this one. I think there were a couple of bits that for me were really interesting in this. Um, First of all, you said it's not a war for talent, but I happen to know that one of the things that lots of TI teams do is build out battle cards. So um, if it isn't a war for talent, we should um, uh, change the name for competitive battle cards in terms of attracting people. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, See, it's January. I'm on fire. Don't expect this by October. Um, there's a piece for me, and I waffled on about this on the LinkedIn Live earlier, about cost control and reduction, which was in this Mercer report. Um, and the, the bit for me that was most interesting was the thinking longer terms. There was lots of things about how um, organisations are looking through the lens of um, reducing their workforce and reducing costs. But actually, I'm not entirely sure that they are joining the dots Um between, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, later with Adrian, but the labour market, economics and location. So whilst they might be reducing headcount, they're not then taking into account attrition or rehiring costs um, by moving those those people around. And I think that's just a real biggie is it's kind of, you know, sometimes you can wipe out any cost savings for when you're back in, in growth mode. And they were saying that the demand is still there, which drives growth. So it's kind of like, a, you know, it was a bit of a mixed message. And then the skills piece, you know what I feel about skills, Toby. We should all be talking about skills and not job titles. Um, uh, and, you know, we're, we're, I'm not, I'm not going to shove strategies, but we're doing some really excited stuff on re- related skills and adjacent skills um, that will come out this year. But it doesn't solve the softer skills challenge. How on earth are organisations going to start to measure softer skills and make sure that they're addressing the gap in that space? 
I agree. Toby, what else is happening? <laughs> Did you drift off there? No, I was giving space. I was being the empathetic oh. leader I am and giving yourself an agent of space and time to come in if you wanted to. Oh. I'm not going to give you time next time. I'm going to shut you down. More um, importantly, I didn't know you were my leader. I, I'm not just a general leader. I'm just a leader of everything. <laughs> a leader I'm of life. Leader. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell my kids, though. They don't believe it for a second. <laughs> no chance. Um, last bit for me today is um, actually some key points that came out from the World Economic Forum. Um well, it was at least on the World Economic Forum website. I, I presume it was presented there also um, over from Davos. And it was by Alan Blue, um, co-founder and vice president of product over at LinkedIn, um, essentially looking at the global market overall and, and some highlights of what they're seeing. Some of it we're, we're very conscious of and aware of. Um, you know, Obviously, we've got the, the data shows that hiring slowing down globally. Obviously, you know, there's a, a lot of economic uncertainty at the moment. Um, they said the power balance is slightly tipping back in favor of employers, um, but I, I, I'm not convinced I entirely agree with that. Um, you know, labor markets are still pretty tight. Uh, we see a big push for employers having jobs back into the office, for example, but we still see an overwhelmingly huge number of applicants that are focusing on, on remote work instead. So, yes, I think it, if it is tipping back, it might be going slightly towards the employer. But uh, I, I think that will be quite a reactive thing and a short-sighted thing. Um, sustainability, cybersecurity, and sales roles, fastest-growing jobs out there at the moment. Um, we've mentioned cybersecurity quite a lot over the last, I'd say, year or so. Uh, lots of markets really, really struggling on that cyber side of things. And equally, lots of governmental warnings around uh, dubious activities happening on the cyber front. And, and the, the whole cyber terrorism side of things. So I think cyber is going to be one in particular where we're going to see a lot of pressure coming through in the, the ne- next six to 12 months where a lot, lot of pressure, not a huge amount of talent. Um, it's it not necessarily as, as sexy an industry as it, as it was a few years back, but I, I think there's going to be a huge focus there and a, a huge a huge need there. Um, and then finally, um, the main, main point that, that uh, he raised was equipping the workforce of the future with universal access to better education, jobs, and skills, um, where we they we ensure a better position to weather economic headwinds. Completely agree. You can't really disagree with that, can you? Um, I think the better education piece is very interesting, though, because it, it, it really does depend on the form of education. And we've, we've discussed this frequently on the pod as well. Um, I think particularly, though, with the, the likes of chat GPT coming through, where rote learning isn't really going to be the sort of education system we need, I think it really calls into question and this whole, um, the whole whole access to information changing and contextualizing and synthesizing information changing. I think it really does call into question more so than ever that rote learning and the education system we have probably isn't what we need in the future. We need more contextual thinking. We need need more challenging thinking uh, around different skill sets from what we necessarily have. Well, it'll just, yeah. Humans need to focus on what humans are good at. And rote learning, as we know, a machine can do that really well and it can <laughs> respond back really well. It's not so good at the old creativity piece and empathy piece and critical thinking and decision-making and all that good stuff that we're still far better at. Um, so, yeah, why don't we focus on that stuff? I'm, I'm still practising my Popeye voice. Because, <laughs> I don't need to. I'll get you to do it because the the definition of TI that Toby pulled out of ChatGPT um, on National Popeye Day um, was awesome. Adrian, you're probably wondering what the hell we're talking about. I'll share. Not at all. Oh, oh, I, I, I I follow Toby's page. You know, religious every morning. I wake up, see what I what there is for the day, and uh, you know that was resident. That was living rent free in my head for a solid. 24 hours <laughs> I, I wanted to I'm do it with yoda i want i haven't done it yet i want to do it with yoda because it'll be all reversed you know like oh. uh find good talent you should you know stuff like that oh, but, did God. you did you listen to the audio file that i got another ai to create of popeye saying what toby yeah. got chat gpt to do yes 
<laughs> I just love this. You could play for hours, right? I could get lost now. I and and we must balance this. I also use Jasper, which isn't quite as cool um, for some of this stuff, but Jasper's awesome for putting things in a different tone or in it, or in, in um, interest. So, um, if I go back to the Davos piece, there was a bit for me, and I can't decide whether to get on my soapbox about this or not. So I'm just I'm gonna mo- I'm gonna put one foot on and one foot off, um, and that is that we've always treated demand data. Um, as a leading indicator. Um, and I was talking to our data science team about this last week, and they just kind of crystallized this in, in my head. So demand data is tracking of job postings, right? And so that shows that the number of job postings is slowing down globally. And everyone goes, oh, and then that drives the headlines versus supply data, which is the number of people that are in the jobs, doing the jobs, you know, whatever roles those are. And she just looked at me and she went, well, that's ridiculous. She went, the demand data is like dreamy stuff, what we'd really like, and supply data is reality. And the pool hasn't suddenly got any bigger in terms of the supply. So even if demand has dropped, it's about the gap. That's the only bit that matters is what is the gap between supply and demand and not whether demand is going up or down. And I just thought that was quite interesting. So I'm going to watch out for a blog on Mind the Gap, which I'll get ChatGPT to write in the voice of Popeye. <laughs> Or Yoda. <laughs> or Yoda. I'd, I'd give it a chance. I'd give both, and then and then see which one lands better, or, or, or post them both, and then say what like this with a heart or support, and let it get upvoted by the people. Great idea. I'm going to get massively, Surely. massively distracted while Salas is doing the interview, trying to find an AI that create Yoda's voice now, <laughs> um, and then I'll try and play it at the end of the show. <laughs> Um, Adrian, what were your views on? Um, I, I just I kind of got on my soapbox a little bit, but I think there's this kind of it's about the gap, or have I gone completely mad? I like that a lot. Uh, as you were saying it, I was like, all right, I think something good's good's coming, and, and you delivered. Uh, I really, I think that's true. Yeah, like there's still like there's not an upward swing or decrease in the number of people with a certain set of skills, and I would tie it back to something. And Toby and I had a chance to talk like last week one on one, and and I was thinking about that and and what you just said. You know, I think um, this again. It's probably should come out when it's more my turn to talk. I I think what this is creating, if people look at it as an opportunity, yeah, you're right. Like we have all these skilled people that have been, yes, they've been laid off, but I think if you turn, change the narrative or change your perspective to say like they've sort of been released into the wild to like start creating jobs, and I I had to do this. I, I put this in that article I wrote. It was if it's not known here. It was I wrote what was a comment that turned into an article was was derived from. Toby's post is actually like, and I started writing and I realized I, I tried to post it and it was 1700 words larger than the comment was allowed to be. So I, I decided to convert it. Um, but this idea, like people are going to have to regroup for themselves about how they characterize their skills. And one thing I think that we're not talking about is when they re-enter the workforce, it's going to be in a different way, but they're going to have had this really tremendous amount of knowledge and expertise that they've gained from one another and working for a company like Amazon and others. And then they're going to go and they're going to take it out to the world. And some of them, um, because this is like sort of maybe they have a little bit of severance and maybe they wanted to do this all along and this is the kind of kick in the pants they needed. I think you're going to see some people that like, you know, you both said it, like you left and started a company. This might be the impetus or the catalyst for many people to do the thing they've always wanted to do or thought they couldn't do, but are now sort of compelled to do by their circumstance. And so I, I think, if, you know, I don't, I don't think that's a rose-colored lens of things. I, I think it's, a, it's just embracing the potential of, yeah, but uh, of what we could do with our time and our knowledge and how do we redeploy it and what happens as a result. Because um, I know, like, you know, again, Toby and I talked and, like, Amazon, as Amazon grew and the way we crossed paths and when his team grew and my team left and, you know, there was a lot of people with this knowledge sort of getting um, aggregated into certain places, we'll say. And that's great for that place, but that's not great for like the, again, the democratization or the release of, of this skill set, you know, in, into the world. And so um, I like the idea of supply and demand. It hasn't changed. And now with all this supply, it's just going to get, I'll, I'll end by saying this on this point, it's going to manifest itself in a different way than we had anticipated. And I think that that could be really exciting. Whether it's starting a company, going to a smaller company and bringing knowledge that they've never had, um, there's just almost an infinite way it's going to manifest itself in the in the market. I think that's so cool, and I loved I loved um, in your article that when you talked about finding your intent, 
um, you know, if anything, we've all had a rebalance, haven't we, in, in the last few years about what's important to us. And then I think probably that that kind of got lost a bit in the last six months and we all kind of went back to the way that we were. Um, and actually what I hope this does for, for a lot of people, right, whether they were laid off or not laid off, is go, what's the stuff that really matters to me, actually, and why does it matter? Um, and I think you talked about facing up to your feelings as well. So um, uh, I, I did a, a conscious leadership course. Um, and one of the things that we talked about was, um, why am I reacting to this? Why? What is it that is triggering me to react to this? And I just think it's quite interesting because it kind of it makes you stop and go, OK, what do I really want to do? And does this really matter? Um, and I think that's a yeah, it's a great place. So for anybody who hasn't um, seen it, can you remind us of what the article was called? It was something to do with um, a letter. To I, think, somebody, I think I think it said layoffs letter to a friend. Perfect. Was the was the title? Fab. So everyone everyone listening should kind of um, read it, whether you've been laid off or not, because yeah, there's a lot of sound advice in there that translates into today's world. So thanks for that, Adrian. Yeah, my pleasure. That's a great segue, um, uh, Alan. I'm missing your bit because you're getting distracted by Yoda. No, I'm um, not. I'm here. I'm here. Uh, Alison, um, I think it's time to talk to our guest. Oh, okay. <laughs> Over to you. Um, <laughs> thanks for that. Um, <laughs> but actually, that's it's a great segue. You, you talked um, briefly about kind of the layoff from Snap. Can you just yeah, talk to us a little bit about that? Just kind of, you know, what kind of emotions did you go through? And then really what then made you go because remitly looks like a really cool business right um but it's very different to some of the businesses that you work for so kind of you know what what was linked to your decision making process oh yeah there's there's some behind the scenes stuff that i think like i said i will share it with the three of you and then like you know hopefully someday many many people that get a chance to listen uh to this someday (laughs) um uh, there was a lot more in the in the equation, I think, than just the professional aspect. You know, like even even as I reflect on the last twelve months, like leaving Amazon after twelve years, you know, even though I had three great jobs and you know had lots of opportunities to do amazing things, like that was a big thing. And and it, uh, also just as a portion of your life, and the majority of my professional career was spent in this one place, right, wrong, or indifferent, or for better or for worse. Like that's where I that's the place I knew. So then leaving in March, that, that was a big stretch. I mean, I had my, my wife saying, are you sure this is a good idea? My mom saying, like, why would you leave there? It's like the greatest job. I mean, it was coming from all angles. Like, oh, it's the right thing to do. It's the right time. So, so I, because I think this is con- relevant contextually. So then I go there and it was, I knew some people there. Like, it wasn't random. I was contacted by them at the time and, like, they had a position and I was, I couldn't, um, I think we can talk about it now because not, not all the people that, that I talked to aren't there either. But uh, there was a former leader who was at Amazon, who had gone to Snap, who was still under NDA, so couldn't, you know, officially uh, uh, recruit. And she didn't, this is anyone else is listening, you know, with other intents, like she didn't. But I talked to people who knew that that me and a couple other people had a certain skill set and that they wanted. And so anyway, it it worked out to go there. So I was like, oh, I felt really good. It was a smaller company. Uh, It was a great culture, by the way. They do have an amazing, uh, thoughtful culture. And so, uh, you know, I go there and then um, the other, so, so we go through, there's also some context that I, I need to, I need to lay in, but I'll try to finish this thought first. So that was leaving and then starting somewhere new. And I, I sort of had to, uh, to use a Yoda term, I had to unlearn Amazon, which as I now am at Remitly, that was a really, really important um, thing that I needed to go through personally. Like I, I just, I thought I knew everything, you know, in Amazon, you're kind of telling everybody what to do you would tell giant law firms and companies you're like we're amazon you're going to do this and they would largely do it and you know things change when you're a five thousand person company and so i had to listen more i got that feedback you know when you go listen for you know so i went on like a listening tour and really got myself plugged in so then as we as uh so one of the parts so it's a kind of health related and i'm gonna i'll wrap this thought you know before we finish tonight but i went through i got really sick like two and a half months in was in the hospital for a bit. I had to take leave. And um, when I came back, uh, I was like, well, okay, cool. I'm going to come back to work like half time. And where's, you know, where are all the acquisitions? And they're like, oh, they're not, they're gone. They're gone. They're like, and I was like, say what now? And so like our work had contracted even in a matter of like four weeks, six weeks. And so then you're like going, oh, well, uh-oh. And then I realized, you know, even as a, and then just putting on my objective hat as an, as an ER practitioner, like, well, here I am, recently hired, 
an ind- individual contributor, fairly highly compensated, with no direct reports, most importantly, doing a job that is likely no longer going to be needed in the, in the near future. So even when the first hint of the word layoffs came, I was like, oh, that's, I'm deaf. I, I would lay me off just objectively looking at the information. So I started thinking about what that meant. And, you know, there's like just a lot of emotions with that. You start hearing it, you start getting scared. Uh, you don't know. Some people go, some people don't. And that, all of that informed those thoughts about not only the person laid off, the manager who delivers the message, the person who's left behind, the someday future applicant who has to go to a company that at one point laid off so many people. What does that mean to their brand? Um, and so, yeah, it's just such a, a crazy and important journey, but part of it was reflecting on that health journey too. So I, so the part where I wanted to link to that, and then I'll, then we can, I'll pause that you ask a di- different question or follow up is I think you have this professional component of your life, <clears throat> but then you, then these other things happen to you in your life. And those are the things that you have to weigh in this overall equation of like, what are you doing? with your time on this planet <laughs> and how do you want to spend it? And yes, you can maximize your earnings and do all those things. And that has a certain value. And there's no, um, you know, that's each person's journey, each person's equation to determine on their own. But when you start thinking about um, even Bezos had the regret minimization framework, you know, you're not going to, I wasn't going to look back and go, gosh, I'm sure glad I had another job and didn't spend time with my three sons, you know, or more time. And so those were the types of things that were coming to mind. So like when it happened, when I got laid off, I was like, I knew it was coming. It was still like kind of almost disbelief. Like, are you kidding? Like this would never would I have imagined this happened. Certainly not nine months from when I had left, you know, basically a secure job, uh, which by the way, the team I was in when I left, I don't think had any layoffs in this Amazon round because I was actually in public policy. So then, then, then you're still going through the math of like, well, I could have in theory still been there. Um, so, so I'll pause there, but I think it's just, it's just a combination of, starting to be aware of your situation and what you're doing and what's important in your life. And then this back to my earlier point about catalyzing or motivating people to reconsider what's really important to them and how they want to show up and, and how much do you need financially or professionally or by title, whatever to, to be happy or to be to content or to live life the way you want. And so I think that's the, the sort of reckoning is more of an internal reckoning than a, the need of this, you know, the economic balance sheet, you know, correcting itself. It's like people are going to have to go through this, and that, that was a lot of the and the refined thoughts I was putting in that statement that I wrote. I, I think it's really interesting that, um, you know, partly driven by, in, in your case, moving on from Slack, but actually also driven by the pandemic, is that there's this merging of who you are at work and what what you do, um, and and I think we're seeing that across all people. And and you know what, if if you live the life of an entrepreneur, then you discover that it's all the same, right? You, you your purpose has got to be everyone else's purpose because purpose drives passion. Um, yeah, and and you've got to bring people on that journey with you. But equally, by people on that journey, I, I you know I mean not least your team, but your family and your friends and all of the other people that are involved. And you have to look at you know look at the lens of health. Yeah, you know, it's it's just a really good grounding. I think. Can we can we touch on? I know it was a short time, but actually, the at Snap this was about growth, um, both through M and A and presumably through footprint, global footprint. What do you think are the possibilities for talent intelligence in the M and A space, and are we touching the surface? Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential. It was interesting going there. It was like having come from that and being curious about it. I mean, my primary work was was you know part, partnering on on uh, acquisition, pre deal due diligence, like kind of bringing all these different skill sets, like working on acquisition for the people team because I was doing M and A in the people team. Um, but yeah, I, I then reached out and I was saying like, how to, <laughs> I was like, how not to reveal too much about their, their practice, but I was like, oh, this is, yeah, I'm going to bring, I want to bring this stuff that I love, this talent Intel world that I discovered in basically 2017, 18 and, and always have been passionate about it. And, and then said, okay, like, what are we doing? I remember talking to town like, oh yeah, well, we don't really, they just basically didn't have an approach. I would say they did have an approach. They didn't have a, an approach with a lot of depth and insight. That, that listeners to this podcast, because we know that's a certain, <laughs> a certain smaller refined percentage of maybe the, all the practitioners. But um, yeah, there was so much, so much opportunity to talk about 
skills and to look at, you know, not just the company product, but like the leaders. Cause you know, when you're buying a company, you're buying IP and you're buying potential, but you're a lot of times you're essentially not to be crass, but you're buying the people and their vision. And like, you know, they're going to, and are they going to stay with it? And like we talked about like key personnel, like it was really important to retain them. That was a really important integration component is how do you integrate them and keep them engaged and not consumed and then bored and then leave because they're really critical of the business. So I think, I think there's like near unlimited opportunity to, to go deeper in how we uh, assess skills, the soft skills, just because you're an amazing technician and you invented a cool app that has a high, you know, potential for revenue uh, doesn't mean you built a great company. It doesn't mean you built a great culture. Sometimes you find both, but not always. And so I think there's just so many um, touch points that we have yet, we collectively as an industry and also com- companies and maybe practitioners in the space have yet to do. I'm sure there's companies that are really, really good at it, who've done the best at it. But I think Snap acquired, you know, I don't know if I can even say the number, but more than 10 companies in 2021 and i think a lot of it was tech-based but like they could have done um you know a bunch of different things i mean they made good acquisitions the talent's great the tech was great things like that but i think as an industry that's a place we can lean into interestingly though it's going to be interesting to see now what the m&a landscape looks like in this setting like it's probably another couple years before a bunch of people like to my point spin up companies subsequent to maybe being laid off those get interesting and then the companies that typically engage in the acquisition behavior start moving again with extra cash i don't you know there's probably a whole nother podcast or 10 on just the the m&a space uh you know subsequent to this kind of volatility i think it's really interesting isn't it because it, there's kind of like um you talk about your you know it's not being crashed you're buying the people that there is there's research that shows that something like 75 percent of the c-suite leave a business within three years of an acquisition and like well if, if that's what you're buying and you're losing them all within three years then what the hell have you bought you know and how do you max it but if i think tactically the sorts of things then that we're talking about is um if we make this acquisition are they in locations where we can increase you know are the skills there to help us grow the business in line with the plan that we've got you know what are the skills in this business and what's the gap and and how are we going to bridge that gap and how does it marry with ours and I guess some piece around cultural and cultural listening. Is that kind of tactically the use of talent intelligence in this world? Uh, I think, I mean, it could be, I think in the early part. It's the same as saying no, Adrian, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm not just, I'm not just saying no, because I think in the early stages you, you're, you know, everyone's getting to know each other. It's essentially like this accelerated, you know, I, they, they used to kind of get mad at me because I'd just be like, look, I don't see what the big deal is with, with integration. But on the other hand, you have to understand it's just a mass hire event on the people yeah. side. It's a mass hire event. And they'd be like, what do you mean? I go, you have talent acquisition. You guys do all this stuff. You hire one person at a time. We're just hiring 200. So just integrate them. But, but I think that when you don't like that point about 75%, leaving you know yeah they get paid and then you have all these crazy equity provisions and accelerated equity and special provisions they can't get you know so they're basically staying to see what what the money does over time or 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 if they don't they they have a they have enough of a a windfall that they leave early Uh, i just think that there's a lot there is a lot of culture there i just think early on you're still like back to the skill set like are you acquiring the skills that you that you really think you need not just this product to like maintain it or build it so I, I think, you know, again, I was barely, I hadn't done acquisitions before that. It wasn't like the biggest part of my career in terms of expertise. So some of it's somewhat limited to my experience, but I still think there was a lot of opportunity um, to do that. And, and, and then a ton of opportunity on acculturation. Like one of the biggest learnings I think I had was like, it's really important to be very clear on how deeply you integrate an acquisition. I think there were a lot of examples <clears throat> where if you let a company like just stand on its own, um, it just doesn't work as well. Like, so you really have to be thoughtful about, about do, does your, do your values. I think that's the culture part. Do your values match? Can you integrate them? Um, yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a really interesting one. Cool. Um, you've, you talked on the Jamboree. It was awesome. Um, about global expansion and location. Can you just, for those people who weren't at the Jamboree kind of summarize, 
um, your views on that. In kind of, yeah, give it, give us the one minute idiot's guide. <laughs> oh my gosh! Location. Uh, oh my gosh! A minute? I, I I can't do anything in a minute. Two um, minutes. There you go. Two minutes. Okay. <laughs> I I would say you know where we started. It, it, it's important too because where, where where I started in this space was you know where should we grow? Like we have to hire this many people, and where are they? Pre COVID, right? And that's an important um, yep. important distinction. And and we were facing these massive numbers, and so we were just like that's where we were sort of obsessed with location because we were like not only were we trying to figure, so so anyway so you're you're thinking about location. So then first was, okay, it's not just talent. Now you're st- we started, the reason it expanded beyond even HR and why it was the beginnings of my move into later economic development and policy is we started going, what does it look like to show up in a city of a certain size? Because we changed, sometimes we changed the economy and that's not even like hyperbole. Like we, we would change the housing market by bringing in 10,000 SDEs who can pay exorbitant house rates, but push everyone out. Uh, you know, and so we were, Talking to so so that the thing was like you had to look at all of these location factors. What is it like to be in that place? And it, and then and then you're starting to look at immigration and information security, uh, info or uh, infosec, uh, intellectual property. Sorry, that's the same thing. Intellectual property. And it's like, can you protect your tech? You have a dev center in a place. Like, do you have IP rules that will protect your technology? So that was all. That's what we were focused on for so so long. Then COVID happens, and I remember I, I even had to just rethink, like, oh, kind of everything I said is not really true anymore because uh, you can work from home or you can work from some other place. Uh, and so it started to evolve into, like, well, what does that mean post-COVID? And this is where I think it gets interesting today and including with this, like, tech diaspora diaspora of, of workers wanting to be wherever they want to be and then companies just being like, okay, I will do that because this tech, this tech talent is so important to our uh, to our success and to our, our company. So I think then, so anyway, that was the first minute, essentially, like you have to think about all these other things about what it's like for you to make a footprint. Then the, the COVID part was, okay, maybe you don't have just, you know, dig a hole and build a shining skyscraper and then put everyone in that skyscraper because that doesn't work anymore. So then it was like, okay, maybe you should have regional hubs and let people travel in and out, change the way you design floors and buildings to make them meeting spaces. And that was kind of like a project that we were we were tinkering with. I think now, having been at Snap and now at Remitly, which is which is uh, twenty seven hundred plus, you know, and and, gro- and growing a little bit, but but smaller company. What the other probably maybe I don't end on this one and can start thinking about your next question. But I think one of the most important things is that I learned was when you're giant, which Amazon was, it does matter what city you go into. I mean, in some ways, you can absorb it for cost, but when you hire 700 people, even in, in quote unquote, a small city, you still might be the largest employer in the, let's say, tier two or three city in a mid-sized European country. And that's 800 people's lives. So you're not just going to go in and then pull the plug and go out. So that decision has a lot of impact. At first, I used to think, oh, when you're small, it doesn't matter. Then when I went to Snap and now here, when you're smaller, it also matters very much because the place that you invest is as a percentage a very important investment relative to your other your size everywhere else. So so all of a sudden if you if you're only in five cities and you add a city, again, if you make that mistake and you miss the wrong place or you incur you know a lot of difficulty in finding that, like it's a it's a it's a pretty important decision. So like that's probably my my two minutes ish on on location strategy and then how to think about it or at least some ideas to think about whether you're large or small, that is it, it's, it's, it's a material decision kind of no matter which way you look at it. Now your two minutes was four minutes. So next time I'm going to say 30 yeah. seconds. Okay, do that. Two. That's okay. Um, but it, there's something really interesting on this. So, um, you know, strategists, we do a whole bunch of stuff. One of our core user cases is, is location optimization. And, and it's interesting when you talk about, you know, whether you're giant or whether you're small, we, we talk about um, it, it, one of the things that you need to understand is what percentage of the supply of talent there are you looking to nab for yourself, right? Because actually it doesn't matter whether you're putting 50 people there or 500 people there. What matters is what percentage of the available talent is that? Because that's what's going to impact your capability or your ability to hire them and attract them and retain them. Yeah, and I think it's it's really interesting. Um, we also talk a lot about joining the dots between the labour market, economics and location, and you're already there, right? What other dots do you think should be connected for maximum insight through the lens of talent intelligence? 
Uh, I think, <clears throat> I mean, uh, it's probably some mix of the more qualitative things like immig- immigration, your yeah. cultural values, and DEI. I was just having this conversation today at lunch, and we were talking about our, our the profile of my of the company I work for now, and and, and and being in Cork and what Cork Ireland looks like. I don't know if you knew that. That's where I am right now, but um, and so. Yeah. But it was really interesting. They were like, "Oh yeah, like when when DEI, I'll, I'll, I'll say maybe DEI is the most important." And like, I think gender equity is like picking up throughout the world. Um, but but race, for example, is so complex in so many places, and so and and much of it comes from and derives from the U.S. experience. And so, like this recruiter was telling me that, um, and he worked for a, a company that a couple of us on this call may have known or. or formerly or currently work for, he used to work there too. And they were like, you need to hire a, uh, <laughs> you need to hire a black man for this role. Now, first off, that's like not even the way DEI works. You can't have quotas, you can't have like specifics. But, but the point was, he's like, we're completely diverse. Like everyone here, like white and black are sort of US constructs about DEI. And I, this, is, this again is probably five podcasts by itself. But I think that's one where you really have to think about do your values align with the culture of the place to which you're moving? How should you think about your company values based on that culture? Um, and then, and then also, what is it like? Can the people that work for you or that you want to work for you show up and live as who they are in that community? And so then you start getting into like LGBTQIA plus in certain places where they don't even permit it. So like you know, there's just story upon story and example upon example about how I think we miss that. And so um, when you talk about the global majority of people and, and, and having an inclusive environment, a globally inclusive environment, um, I just think it's one we don't often think about. And it's really critical to, I think, teams and thinking and, and how they work together. I love that. And you're right. It's the overlay of qualitative research on, on top of data, right? Um, and I had no idea you were in Cork. What a great place. Um, uh, you, you should be speaking in an Irish accent. And we should be talking during normal time instead of preventing Alan from having a beer. He'll be very grumpy. Um, uh, do, do you... Maybe I feel alcoholic. No, just a beer, not several. It's a beer. Beer is for tomorrow because it's my birthday tomorrow. I'm just going to have that in. Oh, happy oh, birthday. Happy, hey, happy birthday. Thanks. This will be totally irrelevant by the time the podcast goes out. People will be like, your birthday's at the end of February? <laughs> That's true. How old are you going to be? Um, half of 90. Oh, you're way younger than me. In two weeks' time, I'm going to be half of 100, and that's, that's scary crap. Um, uh, Adrian, let me ask you another question. How do yeah. you think market intelligence should influence consolidation? Right, if this is the space that we're in, how do you think we should be using it to influence consolidation? Uh, what do you mean by you mean what do you mean by consolidation? Yeah, so so all, all everything that you we've talked about up until now has been about expansion. It's been about growth, and actually, we're now potentially in mm. this kind of shrinking economy. How do you think you could use that data in a reverse scenario where organisations are saying, "Yeah, we're going to reduce our footprint, or we're going to sell off"? Yeah, what's the what's the place there for TI or for market intelligence? Wow, that's a really good one too. Um, Gosh, that's a. I'm rarely yeah, I stumped. Can, I, 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 can, have, I can leave you, and we can come back to that one because we've got a whole another podcast for you and I to do. I just I'm going to get in so much trouble for just running over. Um, so so we'll leave that one there. But I think leave you know, that one. Yeah, there's something in there that I think is quite interesting. So if you can noodle that ready for okay. our next one, that would be really yeah. cool. Um, Thank you. Uh, so then I think uh, so. This is quite interesting. So if we think about. Um, joining the dots and the things that you talked about, you know, changing the housing market, labor market, economics, location data, all of those sorts of things. Um, if it, What do you think is the biggest opportunity for labor market data in an organization? And, and as a result of that, which decision makers should be interested in labor market data? Yeah, I think, um, and again, it's so different for, for different orgs and, and Toby and I have talked about this a lot. Um, I, I think it's still it's still like senior leaders. Uh, we we I think they you know they know their business. There's sort of a uh, misnomer, <laughs> and, you, and I'm not, I'm laughing because I'm just thinking like of some you know EVP or SVP of any company being like, what does this guy know? 
But, um, you know, I think the the illusion sometimes is that because, and we all do it, is because you're super brilliant in one area, the sort of there's false equivalency that you're brilliant in another. Um, and so I think that's, that's, that's one of the biggest, I think, difficulties, at least it was in my experience, of bringing forth this new data where people just dismiss stuff because, like, I've never seen it. I don't understand it. That's not been my experience. I don't believe you. So I, I think that it's it's with senior leaders contemplating these talent issues and growth issues beyond what they currently know, beyond the footprint that are in, beyond the footprint in place that you've ever been, um, and and really asking, really just being open and curious and uh, seeking to learn more about what talent doing. So what, what what talent's doing, how it's moving, how the company's moving, and just how to reconcile the two because I think. They just get it in, in so often in just either blurbs or in a paper, and it's just not it's not pervasive enough. They're not fluent enough in the movement of talent and economies because they're so mired in their business, which which we all understand. But I think just that's that to me is like really critically important because if they were thinking about it all the time, the way they wouldn't just be like, oh, just go get this person here. Or, I'm just going to open an office here. Like the decision would be made with so much more kind of agonizing. Strat- strategic thinking that that maybe a lot of us have gone through on their behalf, but I think, and that's again, that's a huge lift. But I, I think that's one thing that's still missing. My God, I I I think Adrian, I love you because the segue into my final question, you've just you've just kind of nailed. So yeah, I I waffle on a lot about yeah, clients do research. So companies do research on their clients, on their markets, on their target audiences all the time, and yet very re- rarely do they do research on probably their most important a- asset, which is access to the skills they need to deliver their strategy. Um, and so my question was going to be: Should this be always on and about tracking changes um, in the same way that companies do market research in those other areas? I mean, unequivocally, yeah. I mean, like, you know, like we, I think we draw this, this idea that like there's a product and there's a solution and there's some outcome. It's like this outcome based analysis. And like, what we forget, it's like almost so simple. It's absurd is that everything we do is about the combination of these human beings applying a certain set of skills. And like (laughs) that, that's the thing that we, that we are still, still struggling to figure out. I mean, even at the beginning of the call, we were talking about it's not, even compulsory public education is not designed to even create the people to think the way they need to think. I'm like obsessed with this because I look, I have three boys and I look at them and I look at how they're learning in school and the school is great. And my wife's an educator. We talk about this a lot, a lot, but I'm just thinking like, how are they getting trained to think in the way they need, need, need to think. And so I think that's why it just remains. It's just so critical. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and you know, it's re- when I'm when I put my philanthropic head on, you know, for me there's there's this piece about joining the dots between, you know, that gap we talked about, demand, supply, and education. Yeah, and and how we genuinely look to create the workforce of the future based on the skills that we need. But there you go. There's there's another podcast, so we're definitely up for another hour that we need to get in. So be be prepared to be handed. Okay, I'd love that. Can I can I make one more on on, on that? Just and I will. I promise. I'm watching the clock. And I will keep it like under a minute. One of the things I wrote, it doesn't matter even what I wrote or who, who wrote it, but it was focused. We were asked like, well, where else in the world have we missed? And then we got the chance to just like literally look at the globe and go, well, we're already here. We're already there. That's already blown. Like what's left? And to your point about supply, kind of the inversion of demand is not the right thing to look at. And supply is the right thing to look at. We're also coming into a space like sub-Saharan Africa is a fascinating, mm-hmm. fascinating. It's like one of the last places on earth where there's a demographic movement where like, I think by 2050, one in four people will be from like adults will be in sub-Saharan Africa. And by 2100, it'll be one in three people. Lagos, Nigeria is targeted to be at 85 million people as a city. And like, like, so when you start to think about back to this supply, like almost like supply will be the controller, like what's going to happen to, to the world. Not only like, again, back to the DEI, not only when you talk about a global majority or people of color, and from a different part of the world, and then they start coming into the world and the world more connected than ever. Like those are, I mean, then you talk about like, what do we have to think about for talent intel? Not just one, three, five, 10 years, but 10, 20, 50 years. Like, you know, it's just like your mind kind of just opens and then you just pass out. But that's one, I wanted to throw that out here for this group, because I know we think about these things. And that's one that I think is going to like, really be momentous in terms of like, how the world starts to change and how supply 
begins to drive. So actually, in in all seriousness, I think there's something there's something in there for a separate podcast, um, and we can almost frame it around a topic. So we'll do it in a slightly different format, but framing it around this topic of you know what is the link between long term supply, education, and talent intelligence. I think that would be a really cool topic for us to be talking about and, and also to elevate the conversation up to some of the business leaders that we're talking you know, talking about should be interested in, in this sort of stuff. Thank you. You're a star. Thank you all. This has been my pleasure. It's, uh, it's just a great, great format. So I appreciate it very much. That, that was amazing, Adrian. Thank you. Um, but as your, as your host, I'm going to call us to a stop so we can uh, release you back into the wild. It's been great having you on the podcast, though, Adrian. How is it for you? Amazing. Yeah, I was like, I was trying to, I feel like it's kind of like an interview process. Like, oh, am I going to get this question right? I hope I pass. Uh, and, then, and, then, and then I would just flip to like, well, I'll just let it ride. I hopefully, you know, just rely on, rely on what you got. But it was, uh, it was great. And you, you all are a delight. So thank you. Uh, we'll let you know by the end of the week how you've got on. And um, but only expect to hear from us if you've actually got the job, Adrian. Okay? <laughs> but isn't it, isn't it funny? Uh, Alan, sorry, I know I'm cutting across you, but isn't it funny? You, you look at this as, you know, kind of, oh my God, is this an interview experience? Am I going to get it right? I look at every single one of these podcasts as a lesson for me. I go, oh, I learned something. I learned something every single time Learn we do this. Experience. Yeah, so so thank you. It's cut both it cuts both ways. Sorry, Alan, I'll be quiet again. That's right. well, imagine how I feel. You two actually work in the industry. I, I my learning goes through the roof after these. It's incredible. Um, anyway, let's let's close off. Um, big thanks again for all, to all the three of you. Um, big thanks to our listeners as always. Um, I know we haven't been here for a while now, but hopefully this has got twenty twenty three kicked off to an amazing start. Make sure you tell your friends about us. And um, share, like, and rate the podcast and everything else just to make sure it gets out there into the wilds. Um, but before we close the show, sh- should we hear from Yoda? Yes. What do you so reckon? Much. Be, be yeah? I think we should. Right, let me uh, see if this works. So I'm going to whack my volume up on my laptop. And fingers crossed, my mic picks this up. Let's give it a go. So just before I do it, actually, this is the prompt I gave ChatGPT. So in the style of Yoda from Star Wars, tell me how you see the future of talent intelligence. And this is what I then copied and pasted into another bit of AI that replicates a variety of different voices, Yoda's being one of them. So let's see what this sounds like. Future of talent intelligence. Right it is. More powerful it will become. Helping companies to discover hidden talent. It will. In predicting performance, it will also do in every industry. Its impact will be felt. It's a valuable tool for all organizations. It will be. Yes. <clears throat> Folks, stay intelligent. You should. <laughs> I love <Perfect>. that. <laughs> Pretty good, eh? Best ending we've ever had. Oh, thanks. I'll, um, I'll, I'll let Yoda take over from now. By the way, I could probably get Yoda to do the whole show. <laughs> no, Yoda only got created because of you. So, you know, AI only works when it has human intervention. There you go. You true, were the human that true. intervened. Exactly. And on that note, I'm still going to close the show. Stay intelligent, folks. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. Before you go, I wanted for the last time to remind you about our generous sponsor, Stratagens. Here's that posh chap again, telling you about their fabulous product. Stratagens gives HR leaders the data they need to transform businesses with the speed and ease required in today's world. If you're ready to make decisions that aren't lengthy, costly, one-dimensional, or based on gut feeling, visit stratagens.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-I-G-E-N-S dot com to register for a Wednesday demo drop-in and find out more.